Welcome to The Third Wheel, episode seven, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Today we are going to talk about chapters nine through 14 of The Great Hunt in The Wheel of Time. I'm Tyler, and joining me are... Bion, and I'm the one that's reading this for the first time, each section. And I'm Jesse. I'm not reading this section for the first time. I'm currently two-thirds of the way done with The Shadow Rising, so I'm keeping slightly ahead on my own first read. Just slightly. I can imagine what you're getting slowed down by. Uh, nothing in the book, just life. Hmm. I actually like the book right now. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're... I think now that you've pushed past the couple chapters we talked about, you're in the clear. Don't worry, Beyond. We'll get to that in, uh, like three months. Aren't you excited? I'm thrilled. Okay, well, I need you to tone down the excitement, okay? Because (laughs) what I need you to do is imagine yourself as a flower bud. Wash away all your emotion, no excitement. You gotta close your eyes. Yeah, you're wearing sunglasses inside, so, okay, your eyes are closed. So, just... Allow yourself to be washed away by the feeling of excitement in the future. The concept of the idea of excitement. Are you feeling it? Oh, yes. Okay. I feel like it's kind of slipping away through your fingers. Mm. Those sap petals just aren't clinging as much as they should be to my fingers. Oh, no. (coughs) What is a sap petal? What kind of flowers do you grow? In 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 the chapter, it, it legit said, "Feel the sap from the petals." It says that. I'll pull out the Kindle and show you. I guess I just don't want to think about like sap petals. It's kind of gross. Um, I mean, the whole thing is kind of gross. It's lady-specific magic, and rather than fire and the fear of, like, infinite chasms, you get a sap petal. Like, how much more vulva lady nonsense do we have to get here? Well, we'll get to it. (laughs) We'll get to that. I have a big note in my notes that says, let Bion talk about this. So, before we get started, I don't know, do we have, I don't think we have anything to say about this before we jump into it. Not a lot happens. We got a fan art. Yeah, we did get a fan art. And that's super awesome. That's an announcement. That is. (laughs) Look at the excitement in my voice. Can you hear it? I can, actually. So this is a shorter section, so we might get a bit more into the minutiae of things that stuck out to us. But. Which is good, because there's minutiae to get into in a couple of these chapters. I look forward to sitting here and trying to explain it. So, we're going to start with Chapter 9, uh, Leave Takings. So, last time we were here, Rand had his meeting with the Omerlin, and he headed out, he had that little meeting with Egwene, um, he is now in the courtyard in the main keep in Faldara. Uh, everybody is around getting ready, packing their bags, uh, making last-minute preparations to leave to either go hunt the horn or go with the Omerlin back to Tarvalin. While Rand is getting ready, he runs into Matt and Perrin, who are still ignoring him. <laughs> Perrin after that, like, what's going on, Rand? I can't tell you. Okay, bye. Uh, and Matt has just never recovered. Uh, thankfully, this ends during this section. Ish? Ish? Ish. Sort of. It kind of goes back and forth. It becomes something different, but at least it's not, like, the silent treatment. Yeah. So, I mean, in this bit, like, Rand apologizes to Matt and Perrin, which is good. It feels like it wasn't something that was hanging for a long time. No. But I just wish that we could ever see the boys be the best friends they supposedly are. Yes. 
It just seems like they're best friends because they're the three in the village that are similar in age. So they have to be best friends because the other option is talking to their sheep. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's just they're under so much stress all the time that they just never get to be friends with each other. No, I think uh, looking back, that one moment in the first book where they're all just hanging out in the private library. In game one, yeah. I remember you saying that, and I was like, that's kind of sad. Yeah. (laughs) They never get to have moments where they're just chilling and not hating each other. No, like, they will chill in pairs, but I don't remember any other time that the three of them in a room chill with each other. Is this symbolic of the various powers they will have slash inherit, become, etc.? No, I think it's just symbolic of, like, one of them is going to die because of an evil dagger, and one of them is being slowly possessed by wolves, and one of them is going to go crazy and destroy the world. But the dagger isn't going to be prevalent for the rest of the series, is it? Uh, who knows let's is, is find that, out is that, that that's it one gets to be a werewolf the other one gets to be a dragon dude and the other one gets to be i picked this up once and it was the worst garage sale ever it was really bad <laughs> is, to is, pick is, up at a garage sale is, is, is that what it's going to be uh it was more like he was gonna pick something up free off of craigslist but then the guy was really creepy yeah never pick something up for free off craigslist i've put things on craigslist for free for my job was any of them a possessed dagger no they were just very ugly chairs well that could be its own curse (laughs) rand uh also apologizes to loyal in this which is great um loyal's response is so good loyal is always good but loyal just being like ah don't worry about it time is strange yeah i'll blink and you'll be dead so i forgive you (laughs) yeah yeah loyal continues to like low-key savage all of the boys with don't worry you'll be dead soon and time will continue it's fine yeah my life will go on after you die. So Matt and Perrin leave Rand. Uh, Loyal is standing there and Land shows up to tell Rand about capitalized sheathing the sword, being willing to take a hit that will kill you in order to fulfill a goal. You will know when it, when it comes, sheep herder, when the price is worth the gain and there is no other choice left to you. That is called sheathing the sword remember it yeah he just shows up is like hey you should learn this and then turns around and leaves it has no bearing on anything right now it's just something that's clearly going to be important yeah please refer back to this in however many books you know considering that there's things like cat crossing the courtyard why couldn't sheathing the sword be more impressive I mean, it, 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 I think it's pretty, you know, you're sheathing the sword. It's sheathing like the sword just final... makes me think of heterosex. Well, but, you know, all of the, I mean, all of these moves have these, like, fancy names. Sheathing the sword is a perfectly fancy name for, I mean, think about, you know, you've got the heron waiting in the cat crossing the courtyard and so i don't know i feel like sheathing the sword falls in line there's nothing outside the normal bounds of naming maybe Bora this rushes is down the mountain i think this is perhaps just my own the way my mind goes but yeah it could it's, it's fantasy but 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 the author is from this world and so you, you can't completely separate that's true author existing in this world to the fantasy but continue please okay talk 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 more about how land just disappears and then the boys continue yeah i i like that he shows up to tell rand this i just also think it's kind of a weird flex to like 
walk into the scene, talk about dying, and then leave. <laughs> uh, that's Lan. That's our Lan. It's probably the most efficient way, rather than having to sit Rand down, though, because Rand's kind of in the angst. I need to leave my friends. Yeah, well, because Rand does talk about, you know, hey, Lan, you've had me practice unsheathing and resheathing the sword for days. And so this is probably one that's better just explained, like, right at the end and not, hey, we're going to practice this for multiple days. Because I feel like that's kind of a one... One and done. You only do it once. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. YOLO. So, at this point, the Amerlin and Angel Man walk through the courtyard, uh, loudly discussing how soon she's going to leave. Angel Man is trying to convince her to stay. The Amerlin is saying, hey, I gotta go. You know, I was just popping by for a quick visit, say hi, make sure everything was Gucci. Um, it's not. <laughs> it's not, so I'm going to peace. Uh, when someone shoots an arrow at Rand, which, like, Rand dodges, it also hits the edge of the Armorlin's sleeve, and then hits somebody else. So this is... This is some cinematic magic right here. Well, this is either, like, the most packed courtyard in existence, or... Well, I imagine that Rand and the Armorlin are maybe both on a horse... So you like, think the Amerlin would ride? Oh yeah, they say she has like a palanquin or something. Yeah, also later on in the series, she like can't. She's very bad. She would never ride a horse if she could do anything else. She would rather ride a fish. She would rather wade through a school of silver pike. I'm leaning towards the densely packed courtyard. Either that or someone has a magic homing arrow. Homing in on the wrong person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Messed up that spell a bit. Uh, sorry, you know, Omerlin and Rand sound so similar, so I... I guess, both have some A's in it. I guess Omerlin, Rand, and background character. All. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, what's the background character's name? They never say. It's just somebody in the crowd and then... Leanne, did we say it's Leanna? I think we just said Leanne and said screw whatever the audiobook says. Yeah, um, Leanne just goes over and is like, this person is dead. Whoops. Let's get oh, out of no. here. Yeah. Let's bounce. We out. So when things die down, Rand goes to talk to Ingtar, who has a guy named Hurin. Right? Anybody? Huron? Sure. Yes? Good. Huron is with him. He is a man with a capital T talent that lets him smell violence that has been done in the past. That seems like a traumatic talent. I mean, most of them aren't great. Like, men can see people's deaths sometimes. Uh, something that I wanted to talk about that I think we might have passed. Yeah. Uh, like, on their way out, Ingtar is talking about the two guards that were apparently dark friends and killed a couple people at the dog gate to let in all the Trollocs. Yes. Saying, they fought at Tarwin's Gap a month gone and saved Lord Agelmar when his horse went down with Trollocs all around him. Now this, dark friends. So I kind of wanted to talk about, like, the divided loyalty of dark friends because it seems like a lot of them hold their own beliefs truly and yet are still also servants of the Dark One. So I don't know if either of you have any more insight about this, or like, it sort of seems like if you're in this Shi'anar warrior culture that hates Trollocs and Darkspawn, it's sort of hard to truly hold to that while also being a Dark friend. Yes, that I, I don't get it either. It's very confusing. Similar with, um... Leandrin? Is 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 that who the scary lady is who doesn't respect women? Yeah. And, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The whole Aesodai thing. It's it's about balancing the power and not dealing with the gross parts of magic. And yet here she is, really excited about the gross parts of magic. And it it just seems like it's 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 not it's it's not balanceable. But at the same time, human nature is really good at justifying things. So it's. 
I'm not surprised by it, but it also is is confusing in its own way. Yeah, I don't think it's like a story inconsistency or something like that. I just think it's an interesting detail, and it sort of makes it so that even if people seem to be acting in a certain way, it doesn't disqualify them from being possibly a dark friend. You can be a dark friend. You can be a dark friend. You There's great too. benefits. <laughs> you too can hold conflicting loyalties. I'm honestly impressed that you remembered <laughs> that it was the dog gate. I literally read this yesterday. Nice. Dogs. Yeah. I don't know why it's called the dog gate. That's kind of weird. It's probably where they let in the dogs. Because uh, apparently they have dogs that turn the spits on like little doggy treadmills. So You know that's not what building. that means, right? What do you mean? Like it's not literally a dog. You're like called a spit dog. That's... What? It's like a phrase... <laughs> It's not a literal <laughs> dog turning the spit. That'd be so cute, though. Wait, really? What? I was just imagining, like, a dog with a little, like, treadmill wheel turning the spit. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, I think it's entirely possible to do that. But I think it's historically tended to use more human labor. I so mean, there- yeah, but I saw the word dog, and I didn't think it meant something else. It's kind of how there's, like, a poop deck on ships. That's not related either! Well, no, but it's like, it's, it'll, just because there's words poop in it doesn't mean, like, that, that that's where you go poop. I hate it. That- there are no dogs <laughs> turning the spits. <laughs> they are people that work the spits that are called spit dogs because they are just dogs in their social position. Fine, I prefer my way, but... This is a fantasy novel. I would also prefer it your way, but I suspect that that's not true to the fiction. Just throw cannon out the window, everyone's a dog now. Hey, when you go through the portal stone, and you go to the AU, where they have dogs turning the spits, you can have your own little section on the podcast about how cute... Which dog do you think is most, like, which dog breed do you think is most likely to be willing to turn the spits without eating off of the spit? Are, are we seriously Aussie asking? Mm, yeah. All right, we can go back to Huron. Okay. Uh, well, no, he's he's smelling. Yeah, because Huron is a cutie. He is something. I know that he doesn't look like this. But in my mind, I don't know why I associated him, like, specifically with the image of... This is going to be a specific pull. Radagast the Brown from the Hobbit movies? What? Like, I don't know, with the hat and the... Just... He strikes me as somebody that's not... Not all there as far as the social stuff. I, like, again, I know that that's not accurate. It was just, it was such a strong image that I felt like it had to be specified. My vision is completely different than yours. I was definitely getting a bit of an aardvark sort of thought. Like a literal aardvark? No, like, um, There's Arthur. a lot of animals in play. In like, like how, how, how the uh, original Arthur looked a bit more like an aardvark-ish creature rather than a round face does that make sense i really don't want to imagine arthur like riding in this party but now i have to i'm here to do that (laughs) that's what i bring what's important here is that he's going with them (laughs) he's going with them and he can smell all the violence he and perrin can be smell buddies yeah so he says that there are trollocs dark friends murdral and something worse he starts That's to supposed the- to be Patton Fane, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fane is at this point for the rest of the series something worse. So he leads the group with Ingtar, Loyal, Matt, Rand, Perrin, and then like twenty more soldiers. They are now on their way to hunt the horn. As the Amberlin says, yours is the true great hunt. Yes. You said the title. We truly are The Great Hunt. The Great Hunt was... The friends we made along the way. 
I was just going to try and make a variant, but sure. Okay. Next, we cut to Bale Domon, who is an alien. He is and we've him. met him before. Yeah. He do be someone we've met before. <laughs> Please don't talk like Bale Domon. I, my heart is not strong enough. <laughs> I think we can tell how all of us are just really tired and hungry. Because our thoughts are not nearly as together as they're usually. No, this is fine. This is good. This is prime content. Quality. All right, please continue. People make like three hour podcasts of them digressing with their friends. You should listen to one hour of or one episode of the Super Best Friend cast. They will talk about like three things and the episodes are four hours long. Bail Domon is in Ilian. He is heading to a nighttime meeting in a seedy part of town. And he apparently is, like, having to scare off people trying to steal from him at all times. So he gets to this tavern inn, um, and some mysterious persons offer him incredible amounts of money to go to Maine. Maine? I was actually, like, as I said it, I realized it's probably Maine. Mayan. My Mayams. My <laughs> To go to Maine and retrieve someone and then bring them back. Uh, but he's and not- give al- a letter when he gets there. Yeah. He has to arrive, hand them a letter. In exchange, they will give him a person. He brings the person back. He cannot try to find out who this person is. He's just getting them. So he agrees, takes the money, heads back to his ship, and- tells his first mate hey we're leaving like now you go out find everybody if they're not on this ship by the time everybody else is ready to go they're not coming well, there's a few details that i think are a little important sure is that uh he'd been propositioned three times before to make a similar trip and each time he refused members of his crew had been murdered you know i remember reading that the first time but i think in making these notes i totally missed that but that is a and- good point and that he's paid in Tarvalon marks that are too dangerous to spend. Yeah. So he's he's not really getting paid. He's more just like doing it so he doesn't kill everybody else. I think he realizes he's just being set up when he like sees the Tarvalon marks. Yeah. But I think it was also just sort of a cool detail that certain nations' coins can like mark you as a certain type of person in other nations. I thought it was just kind of interesting yeah i think in the first book they mentioned that like most people try not to carry tarvalin money that mm-hmm. yeah it's when uh, perrin and Egwene are captured by bornholt he mentions that hey perrin you've got this tarvalin coin you must be working with the witches because anybody that isn't working with them gets rid of their money as fast as they can oh, there's a detail that i had forgotten I only know it because I just read it um, maybe two to three minutes before we started recording. Do do all of the country, village, whatever we're calling them, have their own separate economic situations? No, then? I mean, like, I feel like, uh, like the, two rivers, the two rivers would probably use, like, Andorran coins. Yeah, yeah, like, nations have their own mint. And in fact, um, it's mentioned throughout the series... That because it's not standard, you have to worry about, like, paying someone, quote, a silver mark is different depending on what country's silver mark you're paying them because it's a different quantity of silver. Oh. Because they use different amounts to make their coins. And so... um, Sounds like a pain. Yeah. Matt will mention, like, you know, he has bet and lost five gold marks... And he is choosing to be generous and pay heavy gold marks from whatever country instead of the lighter ones. Oh. That's a cool little detail. That seems like it adds a whole nother level of unnecessary stress to living. Wow. I mean, I don't even carry cash. No, (laughs) I only carry cash because I have not gone to an ATM recently to get rid of it. We live in a society. In a society. Okay. <laughs> okay. At least we don't have chips in our hands yet. Not all of us. Yeah. Anyway, weren't we reading a book or something? We're still on the first chapter. 
so the Domon gets back to the ship. He gets everybody roused and they're getting ready to go. He's in his cabin. He gets the note open that he was supposed to present to get the person in exchange. And the note says, hey, uh, kill the person holding this note. They're a dark friend. At the, and take all of his stuff. Yeah, take all his stuff. This is done at the authority of the king of Kyrian. Rude. Yeah. And he has something in his possession that he thinks this is all about. Yeah, he's got a little treasure box in the cabin. He pulls out some stuff he's collected. There's a uh, Turangrial that is a glow stick. There is well, a... Is it a... Okay, it's like a strong it. glow stick. It's a magic. I guess it's not like a one-time use, like a glow well, stick. Yeah, he he said it was a light stick from the Age of Legends, but it so it's a fancy flashlight. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't it doesn't need the power to be used? I guess there are Terangrial that don't require the power, so I guess it could be. I mean, but. you know that it doesn't take the power to use a glow stick, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay, never mind. <laughs> okay. You know, some people might have some dexterity issues. Maybe it is hard. I mean, it might be. Yeah, it's just a stick that you hold, and it's a strong glow stick, but it works for anybody. There is a petrified saber-toothed tiger skull, and um, also just casually one of the Dark One's seals. Don't worry about it. It's whole and unbroken, right? Yeah. Do the seals feel dark, or... No. Okay. No, because the... I mean... The seals are just a focus, uh, but also the like the thing sealing the dark one in itself isn't dark, so the seals wouldn't have any evil feeling, even if they were the actual seal, which they're not. Mm. They're just like physical focuses for the seven points that the seal is bound to. Just mm. a timeline clarification. Yeah. Would the sealing of the Dark One happen before or after the tainting of Seiden? Um, I think that that would be after... Uh, I'm sorry. Other way around. I think that that would have been before. I, cause would it be I, that... Isn't, is the tainting the backlash to sealing the Dark One? I think the tainting... To clarify, backlash meaning, like, the Dark One did it in response, not, like... Yeah, with the ceiling on the stack. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, in response, I'm going to taint Sidene, not, like, as an additional cost to seal the Dark One's prison, taint Sidene. I think that's the order that it went in. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure... Because I can't think of anything else that would have been the event that caused the ceiling in response honestly my um understanding of like the order of events at the end of the age of legends is still kind of unclear well it's not super clear in general because nobody was there or at least not at this point in the series so i think we finished the first chapter yay wait one last thing uh domon says that he's going to tom and head where apparently everything in the book is going to happen. Yeah, he's and heard you rumors never of fighting. Say you feel safe. No, he like says that he feels safe. Never feel safe. You're not. Okay, we are finally going to hit the second chapter. Oh, thank goodness. Chapter ten: The hunt begins. Finally, Ingtar wants them moving fast, so they are having a hard ride. Rand is just kind of following along in his own head. Huring. Matt and Perrin continue to be jerks to him. Yeah, they're... I have it written that Rand is getting rebuffed by them. And yeah, they're just kind of generally like, hey, don't talk to us at all, my lord. It reminds me of how young they are. Yeah, they are 18... Uh, yeah, I don't know how much time has passed. They're either 18 or just having turned 19. Because they're like halfway between 18 and 19 when the series starts. Did 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 we canonize that? Or is that just what we came to after our own? Uh, I have canonized that from outside sources. Okay. But I don't think it's said explicitly. I guess, so... So they would still be 18 at this point. 
They're 18. Okay. They're 18. <laughs> Which, reminder, means that when Elaine pops back up, she's like 16. Just a thought. So is Egwene. Keep that in mind as we go forward and read more about her. I love high fantasy novels. Wow. You'll be fine. Just like Rand, Matt, and Perrin will be. Wink, wink. So when they stop for the night, Rand almost gets attacked by some soup. And (laughs) he decides to go over and try and sit with Matt and Perrin, which they don't leave when he sits down. So it's kind of a win. Matt keeps making snide comments to Rand, though. Ingtar is also in this little circle, which makes sense in the context that these are the main characters, and so the other important named characters should also be here. But it is a little strange that Ingtar is choosing to eat with some farm boys that have no relation to his actual group. Maybe that was just me. Isn't he kind of instructed to protect them a bit? I don't know. I guess we learn later that all of the riders already know that Rand is the second in command. Yeah, that was my only thought, was maybe it's a thing where Ingtar is trying to, like, ingratiate Rand to the thought of being around the Shinaran soldiers. I don't know. It's probably not important. Inktar tells us some stuff about the Aeol and how sick they are. They're like a whole culture of people that are as cool as Lan. Wait, did we skip the part where Rand tries to change out of his fancy coat? Um, I had that out of order in my notes, but I was not going to skip it in total. Uh, We can digress to there right now. Finally, some quality, quality descriptions of clothing. I was very much missing that. Yeah. There's a lot. How do you know what characters are wearing? If How would I know? No one's ever told you before. I mean, I've seen some fan art of Rand wearing some fly threads. Yeah, he wears some fancy coats throughout the series. Uh, red is his color. Red is definitely his color. It goes with his hair. Yeah, Rand tries to change out of the fancy coat only to discover that the only coats that have been packed are fancier. <laughs> he only has fancy coats. Moraine is screwing with him in very oblique ways. Yeah, he thinks that this is an Ace Sedai plot. Which it is. And that he won't be used. Which he is. Yeah. Yeah, he has the. He like starts to outthink himself about whether trying to not be used by her, by her giving him only fancy coats, is also playing into her hand and he he like does the princess bride thing to himself yes my only choice is to wear the fancy coat yeah and then i guess just hope it works out rand's in a tough spot and all the fancy coats make matt sneer yeah because matt actually wants a fancy coat he's been missing his fancy daggers so he needs you don't even know give it like 10 books Matt wears the fanciest coats. Well, of course he does. What else would Matt do? Matt wears coats with lace. There's nothing wrong with lace, except it's extremely impractical for traveling across nations. I'm suddenly really excited to get to Matt's lace coats. It's really good. What I was going to ask is, are these coats magical, as in imbued with, let's protect this baby dragon? No. It's no, just, not at all. Let's, just really fancy. Let's just make this 18-year-old wear something besides a ratty hoodie for once. I mean, there's, like, middle ground between a ratty hoodie and you would show up to meet a king in this. Yeah, like, Rand would rather just wear practical clothes for traveling. Rand would rather be wearing, like, a good hoodie. I thought he said he, he could just be naked in, in the actual text as well. What? No, in a way of the frustration when he's talking himself through it, kind of grumbling to himself, I could just be naked rather than wearing these coats. Yeah, I don't think he would actually go through with that. No, he wouldn't. He just... They're all very shy boys. Very shy. (laughs) Might consider saying it to Moraine, maybe. Oh gosh, no. Perhaps. Back back at the plot. So we can go back in order, yeah. Uh, Ingtar... Tells us about the Aeol. 
I know that I already said it, but nobody reacted, and the Aiel are too cool to gloss over. Because we keep getting these little hints about like, how cool they are before we eventually, in the series, spoilers, get to see them. Uh, so the Aiel aren't all dead, they're just reclusive. Very reclusive. Yeah, they hang out past the Dragon Wall in, like, the size of the map, except it's just a desert on the other side of this mountain range. And the Aiel hang out there, and they're really cool. Are they in self-imposed exile? Yes. Okay. Yeah, they are there to, I don't know what the threefolds are. One of them is to, like, make up for a sin or something. Tyler. What? No! Like, that's... That's not a... That's not a spoiler. Like, that's what they say. We'll get there. We'll get there. So, everybody goes to bed. Next day, Ingtar continues to push them to try and gain ground. And uh, we sort of get familiar with, like, the individual... Like, three individual soldiers... Um, yes. Yeah. Uno, like... Masima, and who else? Is it just Uno and Masima? I think so. Masima, we yeah. kind of met. He's a jerk. Uno yeah. is... Yeah. Well, Masima just doesn't like Rand because Rand looks like an Aiel, and he was in the Aiel Wars. There's some xenophobia. Yeah. And Uno oh, just gosh. swears a lot and has one eye. He swears every other word. Yeah. Only because he can't figure out a flaming way to be a goat-kissing swearer every word. So they... The trail starts to get a little weird, which comes back up later. They're... Like, the trail heads south, but then it angles back up northwest, and it does this over and over again, until they come upon an abandoned camp. Matt's just kind of being himself like, kicking ashes around and picks up a bone. And he's like, that's weird that they ate a sheep. This doesn't look like any bone in a sheep's body. And Ingtar's like, yeah, that's because it's a human bone. <laughs> and Matt freaks out. Matt is just... A child. He's just so foolish. He's essentially a fool of a took. Yeah, like, at every, every opportunity. <laughs> yeah. He's like... Creating new opportunities to be foolish. What if I got a different curse? <laughs> yeah. Ruining everything. So the group continues along until they reach a river that has a village on each side. The village on their side is devoid of people, as if they all just got up and left in the middle of the day. Uno sees a woman in white who doesn't exist. They cross the river, they get to the village on the other side, same thing, nobody's there, except for the skinned bodies of the two guards that were at the dog gate. Ow. Yeah. Ingtar has them cut down and buried in their tradition. Uh, Which is sort of makes people raise their eyebrows a little bit. Yeah, because they were, I mean... They were the ones guarding the gate, so they must have been the dark friends, right? But it's just sort of an interesting moment for Inktar to sort of keep track of. Yeah. And after this, the group continues to head south. As they're going, they're discussing old nations that used to exist in the places that they're going through. At one point, Inktar gets really real with his talk about the Borderlands and humanity being swept away by the darkness. And everybody's like... Uh, my dude, what? Too far. Yeah. Chill out. <laughs> Bring it down a notch. They reach another village. Rand has a really weird experience with flies and blinking through the past or alternate versions of reality. There was a lot of repetition and seeing the same scene over and over again. It's really bizarre. It's very disconcerting. This is a... This section, I I would kind of summarize it as, basically, it seems the things of relevance in this chunk of chapters we read this time was learning more about 
how bad things can get for Rand and learning more about how lady magic works. Yeah. That's what That's I got. That's right. That's yeah. a good summary. Rand has more of a bad time. Cool. Podcast over. <laughs> Rand has a very bad time. And did you know that women are flowers? We'll get to that. We'll get to the flowers. Okay. Rand breaks out of this thing that he's doing, this vision. And the group reconvenes at a dead murderal uh, staked to a door. Tough stuff. For the yeah. Mergel. Really freaks them out. Yeah. Um, because they have no idea what could have done this. This doesn't happen. You don't usually stake a Mergel to a door. But I mean, we've seen mundane people kill a Mergel. Yeah. Did, so I wasn't totally sure why it was so shaking. But I mean, I think because if you didn't kill... The Like, if there's no wound on the Merdral that shows that it was dead... I, there's a difference between, like, I killed the Merdral and then I staked its body to the door versus there is no wound on this Merdral except for the stakes, which means that it was alive when I staked it to the door and that's what killed it. Like, that part, I think, is what's a little more concerning. In a way, it seems like a warning as in, don't mess with me or you too shall become wall decoration. Wow. You know, it's, it's a very vivid thing of, don't do this, I'll stake you. Wow. It's an intimidation tactic that all sorts of countries have used historically. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Or it could just be Fane flexing on them. But isn't Fane a little too mad to be able to do that? To flex? No, he's all flex. I mean, we see later in these chapters that Fane was the one that did it. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Fane is just weird oh fane's crazy he's loco in the coco because he's, he's the he's, something worse yeah he's he's so entrenched in the dark power but he doesn't want to be but in the same time he just is in it he is i've made some notes about fane when we got to yeah him. he's something so chapter ends we move on to chapter 11 glimmers in the pattern the group settles down for the night uh, Ingtar pulls Rand aside and informs him that, hey, if I die, you're in charge. Here's this banner. Yeah. Here, have this package from Moraine. I don't know what's in it, but she said to give it to you now. So Rand takes it away from the camp to check what's inside. And obviously it's the dragon banner because Moraine is manipulating him. <laughs> uh, yeah. she Rand thinks of Moraine and his inner monologue as this way, Rand, that way. You're the dragon reborn, Rand, is a quote from his inner monologue. God, she's treating him like a spit dog. So Rand is like staring at the banner. Matt and Perrin come over and see what's going on. They have a long discussion where Rand reveals that he's able to channel and explains, hey, I was just trying to push you guys away so that I wouldn't kill you. I'm only on this to help Matt. They discuss what Rand is going to do next, like before he goes crazy and destroys the world. And Matt's like, please don't be near me or yeah. touch me or just breathe. Um, you need to leave. Yeah. Yeah, which sort of sucks because Matt had that like moment where he realized that Rand is only here for him. He realizes that Rand is trying to be a good friend, but then he starts discriminating against him. It's like, no offense, Rand, but I think I'll just sleep as far away from you as I can, if you don't mind. Yeah. It's like, yeah, offense taken. <laughs> Matt is not the best. You can't just say no offense. No it's a good rule for life. Yeah, no offense just means here's some offense. This plays into what I was talking about, how I wish I could see the boys just be friends. And support each other. Yeah, like, even though they're not being friends in this conversation, I still enjoy that all three of them are in the same conversation. Yeah. Like, it's so few and far between that you have to appreciate it anytime it happens. Yeah. Matt is scared of him. Perrin is scared for him. Because Perrin is having his whole wolf-based breakdown this whole time. Rand, again, outthinks himself as to why Moraine gave him the banner and starts to 
just like totally go in circles. He eventually heads back to the camp. Uh, he goes to sleep next to Huron and Loyal, who are next to a stone that Loyal was like, "This is an interesting looking stone." Yeah, look at this rock. Look at this graph. That's a nice boulder with uh, runes on it. Yeah. Well, like the idea of runes, however many hundreds of years ago. We cut to Fane, who is in a moment of reverie in his little campsite of evil. He's like reminiscing about how sick it was that he killed that Merdral. The people that they took from the village, him and his dark friends and Trollocs, uh, those villagers are like crying in the corner and he gets tired of it and tells the Trollocs to just go kill and eat them. The dark friends are cowering from him in a corner and he implies slash says that he's going to kill them next. He describes them as as mired as deeply as he had been before he found his way out. Yes. Yeah, that's the first hint of what... Yeah, because I think even Moraine described him as like he was working for the Dark One, but now he's something else. Which will continue to be Fane's M.O. He's essentially, he isn't hunting down the boys because he's so loyal to the Dark One. He's hunting down the boys because that's literally the only thing left in him. Yeah, he just really doesn't like them. So he, Fane, goes to sleep dreaming sweet dreams about how nice it'll be when he kills Rand. It's never over, Althor. How is he able to get the dark friends to follow him? Is it because he's just so intensely beyond them that he's able to command them? Well, he did work for the Dark One in the past tense, and yeah. so he should know all the code words to like, hey, follow me. Is he just and he says they're scared of him because they saw him kill the Merdral. Yeah. Okay. It just it just makes me think how uh being uh, for the Dark One really doesn't help you in the long run, because... Uh, you think so? <laughs> Hot take. Hot take. Uh, being a Dark Friend isn't good for your survivability. Well, not when Rand is around, certainly. So that ends the chapter, and we move on to chapter 12. I have marked all of Neneve's dialogue tags in this chapter. Thank you. She's just so determined to not do it, and then she does the thing anyways. Yeah. Uh, so, chapter 12, woven in the pattern. It's an Egwene chapter, but... But really, it's an Nave chapter. And also a Varen chapter. Yes. Varen just seems a bit like Orochimaru or any other mad scientist that just wants to get what they want. Yeah, except she's not evil. Uh, That's good to know. Yeah. I appreciate that. It's nice to have some witchy ladies who aren't evil. We go back in time to... She's, like, neutral. She's neutral. Yeah. She'll watch you die, but she won't cause you to die. No. Well, she has to write down what it looks like when you die. Yeah. So she can't get involved, because then how would she know what it looks like when you die? And then she couldn't write it down. It wouldn't be objective anymore. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So we're back in Faldara after the attack... Egwene and Nave are making their own final preparations for leaving the city with the Aes Sedai. Aes Sedai? Why did I say Aes Sedai? Uh, when they finally do, it's like we get like a montage of the journey. At one point, it's mentioned that Lan and Nave had one conversation during this. It was not a good conversation. No, Nave was unhappy with the result, as per usual. Uh, Moraine does not appear during this entire section. She's hashtag ghosted them as well. She's very busy. She's very busy not being here. I got a lot of not being here I gotta get to. How old is Nanave? I know she's young. She's probably in her... Like, early 20s or something. She's probably our age. Okay. Imagine being in charge of a pack of 18-year-olds. Tyler, you just doxed our age. (laughs) It was going to happen eventually. I mean, we both follow the Twitter, so it's pretty easy to find out who we are, too. Jesse's phone number is... Okay. So, Varen shows up one night to save the day from the chapter being about Egwene. 
There's <laughs> nothing wrong with Egwene. She's just young. You just said what's wrong with her. That she's young? Yeah. Well, I mean, Varen, sort of. I have this mark, this Varen quote marked as Egwene.jpg. Please. <laughs> uh, your problem is quite different. Most girls who want to become Aes Sedai, even most girls with the seed inside them, like you, are afraid of it, too. Even after they reach the tower, even after they've learned what to do and how, for months they need to be led, step by step, by a sister or by one of the accepted. But not you. From what Moraine tells me, you leapt into it as soon as you knew you could, fumbling your way through the dark with never a thought of whether there was a bottomless pit under your next step. She is ready to go. She wants to be a prodigy. She's really eager for anything. Was she an only child, and was her father an important figure in the town? Her no. father was the mayor. And yes. Okay. Uh, I think she mentions she has sisters. Okay. Because yeah. just in her character, then, if if she's been raised with a, some sort of power, she might not have the same intense level of uh restrictions on her freedoms because they have the money to afford nice things for her so that could potentially lead into why she is different than some of the other girls especially if some of the other girls are collected you saying she's not like the other girls no i'm saying that she has had more opportunities and so that's why she has the ability to be more gung-ho rather than being more passive because she hasn't necessarily had it being ingrained into her to be as passive that makes sense. Yeah, her father was the mayor and probably the wealthiest person in town since he owned the inn. Yeah, so so within society, she had more freedom because she had the money to do so, and that's why potentially she might be so intense. On the other hand, maybe she just really is um, into excitement and adventure. That does sound yeah, like we, Egwene. We noted that as well, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I don't mind Egwene. And, Neither um, do I, really. I don't like. I like to joke about her, but I don't actually mind her no she there are worse characters yes there are <laughs> like matt in these first two books i was gonna say like matt but then i did, wasn't sure if that was too too harsh matt becomes a different character <laughs> we've replaced matt with an oc insert who's better where's the lie I Let's would get like to, to halfway through book three right now and replace <laughs> Matt with better Matt. Please. <laughs> um, weaving the pattern. Weaving is also a traditional feminine activity. So I was just, you know, wow, let's just have all the feminine associations in this chapter. Also, the seed. The seed. Gross. <laughs> mm, uh, let you be the fertile earth of the seed of magic. Too much? This is why I kept making that hand gesture. I assume this is now getting cut. I kept making that gesture being like, don't comment on the word seed. Because I knew what you were going to say. The and we can't, we can't put out content that includes you commenting on the word seed. The seed of his loins. Please cut this. Varen continues to be good in this chapter. She uh, roasts Moraine. She says, well, Moraine has never believed in telling anyone anything they did not need to know. Knowing serves no real purpose, but then neither does not knowing. Myself, I always prefer knowing to not. Varen is I like Varen a lot. She's Varen good. Also, ah. another thing that was sort of um, Egwene.jpg. She says, I know you don't think you're very far along, and you are not, but you are like someone who has taught herself to run up hills, sometimes at least, without ever learning how to run down the other side. Or to walk. Sooner or later, you are going to fall if you don't learn the rest of it. Yeah. Neither of the girls start in a good place for any of this. Egwene is herself. And Nenave obviously has the block. But that was imposed for safety. Well, that right. was like self-imposed. Self-imposed. Like, like subconsciously. Like, now, nope. She only does it when she's angry. She's like the Hulk. But, but the magic. magic Hulk. Or the embodiment of women's rage being a thing as a trope. Hmm. I'm doing a thinking emoji. Hmm. Angry women. Hmm. I don't know. This chapter was interesting because we get to see how the Aes Sedai get their babies first step at magic 
but it was also kind of disappointing because it was less cool than the fire. And uh, Nanave does set something on fire. Yes, she does. It's excellent. She's like, I was just, you know, you were talking. I hated it. I just thought of fire and then there was fire. And wouldn't that be great sometimes if you could just end conversations by just thinking real hard about fire and then fire? No. Um, yeah, the, the whole flower, the, the flower bud thing made me very uncomfortable. Well, the good news is once they figure out how to channel consistently, they never think about it again. I think it's sort of worth noting that that isn't like an objective part of the magic. That's just sort of like a meditation technique. Yeah. Like you need to be in a certain mental space and that's just the thing. I think meditation just makes me uncomfortable. Um, But that's a whole nother thing to unpack. We don't have time for that right now. No, Uh, No, please. My computer can only take another hundred hours of recording. We don't have time. (laughs) We don't have time for this. Yeah, Nave is a wonderful She's brat. Like, I don't want to do it. Yeah, and, and then Varane's like, "But yeah. I'm gonna make you do manual labor and chores." Yeah, her manipulation is so bold faced. Nave is about to walk away. It's like, as you wish, Varane said. Did I mention that novices yeah. do chores? And then you have to listen and obey orders. I. This section is really good. Varane is good. Yeah. And the name. In fact, Varen shows up again later and she has a really great moment. I'm going to call out when that happens. But sadly, the lessons end, at least the ones in the text. Leandrin gives yeah. it a shot. Turns out Leandrin's horrible. Oops. Leandrin sat fingering her red fringe and taught little and reluctantly at that. She questioned Egwene and Nanave as if they had been accused of a crime, and her questions were all about the three boys. She kept it up until Nanave threw her out. Egwene was not sure why Nanave did so, and then she left with a warning. Yeah. She sucks. You've been contaminated by men. How dare you enter this womb space? Am I wrong? That's That's like the whole characterization he has of this group, so... Um, we're going to see a map of Tarvalon that literally looks like a vagina. It does. Well, I mean, I don't know if it. I don't know if it'll turn it up in your ebook. It's, I saw it. it it's it's there. and it's on purpose, of course. I'm assuming because. Do you get it? Yeah, vulva, magic, lady, magic is gender. <laughs> Only the woman power is untainted. Something about the intrinsic biological nature of women. What's important here is that Egwene has some bad dreams. Is that Leandrin sucks. Oh. This is what we can all agree on. Egwene looks better anytime Leandrin is on screen. In text? Whatever. They finally arrive at the village that they're going to. Village? Town? Whatever. And they're getting on the ships to head back to Tarval. And Egwene talks with the only other Aes Sedai that we've met, Anaya. She tells the sister of a dream that she's had, where a man with a mask and eyes of fire stares her down, then of Rand, sleeping with a woman dressed in white and full of evil standing over him, staring at him, before they both disappear in a flash of light. Yeah, we sort of skipped over this woman in white that keeps appearing, and Uno is like, I yeah, bloody saw I, her. I think I mentioned it the first time, and then I like thought about saying it the second and totally forgot. Um, but yeah, Uno keeps seeing this woman in white watching them, and then she keeps not existing. It is interesting that they're using the color white, because it seems like in this world, white is good, and black is bad, and dark is bad, and light is the goodness. So it's interesting that a woman wearing white and women are kind of more associated with purity and white is definitely associated with purity and that person having evil intent. That is really interesting. Maybe we'll find out more about it. I wonder. Hmm. Also, uh, flame eyes is definitely our good friend, completely, totally dead. According to Rand, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Anaya tells Egwene, that she might be a capital D dreamer and able to kind of sort of foretell the future. More proper nouns. There's going to be a proper noun with three capital letters about it. It's all, 
It's all proper. Also, Anaya says that Moraine dipped yeah, three days ago. She's gone. Baron's gone. They're gone. Everybody that you knew and loved is gone. And Leandrin's gone. That's true. Leandrin is also gone. You're right. Chapter 13 is from stone to stone. Rand wakes up in the early morning, and it's just him, Hurin, and Loyal. And they are somewhere else. They're in this world that's devoid of most life. Like, I think there's grass. And has has the color contrast yeah, turned way the down. The colors are all weird. The sky is normal. But they're next to a giant stone pillar. Rand wakes them up and Loyal says, I think I remember something about these stone pillars. Uh, Aesodai in the Age of Legends had the ability to use these stones to travel to other worlds. Uh, places that are like the if versions of reality. So they're AUs. Literally AUs. Like actual AUs exist in canon. That's a head scratcher. I'm really surprised that I haven't seen more fan fiction involving those. I haven't actually read any fan fiction for uh, the Wheel of Time. Well, you shouldn't because it's probably all going to be spoilers. Yeah, unless you find some fan fiction from the year 1993. When only, like, the first three books yeah. were out or something. <laughs> this is my fanfiction, but only the first book, and containing no plot elements from beyond that. It is really interesting reading fanfiction from when series weren't done yet, though. I know I'm sidetracking, but yeah, cool alternate universe powers, magical stones. And this is the time where Rand gives up on telling Huron that yeah. he's not a lord, which I think is a significant moment. Rand tries to use Sidene to activate the stone, uh, but he isn't able to grasp the... Wow, grasp the power? It's too greasy. Well, it keeps slipping through his fingers like air or water. If only he had some sort of mental exercise. And then his void gets judgment cut. It just explodes. Um, It causes him physical pain, which is new. Um, But... Luckily, Hurin, despite being in an Elseworld, uh, still can smell the Dark Friend's trail. And so they decide, hey, we'll just go and hopefully we run into the rest of the group. Imagine smelling so bad that you can be tracked across. Yeah, across a different plane of reality. (laughs) Chapter 14 is Wolf Brother. Uh, Back in the... Shinaran camp. Ingtar is really upset over the loss of Rand and Hurin. I have it written that he is fuming. Uh, Perrin reaches out with his mind to talk to the wolves, and they dub him Young Bull. You're here too strong. Not yet, but he will be. They can lead him to the Dark Friends, and so Perrin goes over and nudges Ingtar and is like, Hey, uh, I can talk to wolves, so I'll just lead us there. Uh, Ingtar is super hyped. He must have the horn. The horn. Must. I don't know if you've heard. Gotta get the horn. But. Gotta. Hmm. Something, something. Don't use the horn if you want to use it for glory. Gotta get the horn. Also, just anytime you start craving um, an inanimate object, that's probably bad. Yeah. Probably means you'll be the only one capable of throwing yourself into the fires. Mm. Thinking. To destroy it. Uh, so Perrin leads them on. They take a break when they notice that Varen is behind them. At first, they don't know who it is. And then it says, Matt turned his horse eagerly. Maybe it's Rand. I knew he wouldn't run out on me. It's like, where's your solidarity when he's actually around? Yes, I do remember that. (laughs) Matt is being... uh, A bad friend. He's temperamental. I was going to say a little sooner, eh? Uh, But also, yeah, I think he very much is... Right now, like, he's mad at Rand on the surface level. Like, mad, scared, whatever. But deep down... He still wants his Rand back. (laughs) That just shows that they're good friends. So, Varen shows up. 
she has this moment where she's like thinking out loud, talking to them. Uh, and then as soon as she notices that Rand isn't there, like the axe drops and she becomes super serious. And I don't know. There's just something about what this implies about her that I absolutely love. That part of it is definitely just like a front that she keeps up. Because if you can, why not? Yeah. She is not just like tuned out. No, she just looks like she is. She decides to accompany the group, and in response to that, Perrin thinks it would be best for Rand if he stayed gone, not fall back into the Aes Sedai clutches. He doesn't want to be a puppet. So that's the end of chapter 14, and that's the end of this section. Whoa. Very Very short short section. section. Kind of front-loaded with the long chapters. Yeah. Yeah, not a lot happened. We got the... Now, Rand, Huron, and Loyal are in... They're off in their own little world. A whole new world. Yeah, not a lot happened. But I feel like we're setting up. I know that in the next section, we continue to like move forward. And that's why we did such a short time today, because we didn't want to cut into... Yeah, the, the next three chapters are kind of like one continuous thing. And so... I didn't want us to have to stop halfway through. Also, I had a bit of a nutty week, so I didn't really have time to read it all until yesterday. Nobody's perfect. No worries. I, too, have been overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by how excited you are to keep reading The Wheel of Time. Uh, Overwhelmed as in I'm taking on extra hours at work, and uh, it's it's going on week six of school. Yeah. But yeah, this is fun and I like talking about it, even if my tone doesn't always convey it. I think you will like it more as time goes on. The scope gets much better. Like I said, the books continue to improve in a pretty solidly straight line for a while. That is better than them plunging into a valley of despair. That that happens afterwards. Plunging like a neckline in... (laughs) Tell I ran Riyadh. Jesse knows what I'm talking about. Only, Only for Elaine. <laughs> Who's hopefully an adult by then. Oh, no. She's... <laughs> she's like 17. <sighs> Don't worry about it. So that... Right. Um, yeah, that does it for this section. Next week, I think... Uh, gosh, I would have to look. I think we're, like, finishing chapter 20? Yeah, I think we're reading to the end of chapter 20. Sounds Um, good. Jesse, where can people find us? You can find us on Twitter, at Wheel Reading. I'll have that in the description. Also, just leave any reviews on any of your podcast services. Tell any of your friends that like the Wheel of Time that you've been listening to this fun new podcast. Uh... It's all great. So we'd love to hear from you. Um, Well, this has been The Third Wheel. Uh, I'm Tyler. I'm Bion. And I'm Jesse. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks, everyone.